if you are thirsty or hungry. Right? That you have a recognition of an emptiness that you want, need to fill. That there is a void. You know, the, the term a lot, a lot of people throw around in the church is that, you know, you have a God-shaped hole uh, in your heart or whatever. And the Bible never actually says it that way, but that's as good of an, an image as any. Right? He says, is, if you are thirsty or hungry, you feel a lack, a need, come. Because what the Bible does tell us is that that is what our soul needs. That it, our soul hungers and thirsts for this thing that cannot fulfill it any other way. In the 42nd Psalm, verse 1, it says, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Some of you are old enough to remember, remember that song, As the deer panteth for the water. No? I'm really old. Uh, let's see, Isaiah 55, verse 2. You know, actually, before we before we get into this verse, I was looking up some uh, some stats, because you know, I'm a nerd that way. Because Isaiah says, you know, all of you who, who have no money, come. Everybody can come, but especially those of you that have no money. And I don't know about you, but lately, that definitely feels like me. Um, and so I was just kind of looking up uh, some of the numbers that are really depressing, you know, what inflation really is and all that kind of stuff. But uh, I came across some of these numbers. These, these, these are for the average American. The average American debt. Uh, average American has personal loans and credit cards of about uh, a balance of about $22,280. So that would be your credit cards, maybe, you know, you finance some dental work because we don't have a good health care system, or whatever, you know, personal loans and and credit cards. Then the average American carries about $21,000 in auto financing. For those that that went to college, uh, they average about $40,000 of student loan debt. And so, on average, the average American has about $96,000 of debt. Then you look at the homeowners. So you add the average mortgage balance is about $220,000. And oh, by the way, uh, your share of the national debt, which is almost $32 trillion, by the way, your share of that is about $94,000. Like the moment you're born, you, that, you owe that much. So I added it up, and so the average homeowner in America uh, has about half a million dollars worth of debt. You feel like you got like half a million dollars worth of, you got your money's worth out of that half a million dollars? I sure don't. But you know, we 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 all are uh, we all are in more debt probably than we realize. But anyway, there's a reason why I was looking that up. We'll see. Isaiah 55 verse two. He says, "Why do you spend money for what is not bread, and your wages for what does not satisfy?" 
what does not satisfy. Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. He says, you're, you're just bleeding money for things that don't fulfill you. I'm offering you something that does. In the ancient world, in ancient Jerusalem especially, there was um, there were basically two main sources of, of drinking water, of fresh water. Uh, you had, you know, a spring uh, that you would call that a fountain of living water. This is fresh water that it's safe to drink and it's good for you. Uh, and then you had cisterns that would collect rainwater. And that, you usually didn't want to drink that because that water would set and be stagnant and that kind of thing, but it had other uses. Uh, sometimes the cistern, you know, because this was just something that you would carve out of rock or out of stone or whatever, sometimes they would develop a crack and they would not hold water. In Jeremiah chapter 2, he compared our our, uh, our lives to those cisterns. He says it this way. He says, my people, uh, Jeremiah 2 verse 13, says, my people have committed two evils. Uh, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, to hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Why do we spend our time and our money and our, and our energy on things that don't satisfy? Is what that's the, the big question, right? Jesus, in John 7, uh, said this. He says, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Instead, we go and build these cisterns to collect things to fulfill ourselves and says, no, 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 that's not how it's supposed to work. So Isaiah 55, verse 2, we're going to go back and read it again, and this time I'm going to read it to you out of the message, because sometimes uh, Eugene Peterson's take is uh, enlightening. Isaiah 55, verse 2, he says, why do you spend your money on junk food, your hard-earned cash on cotton candy? Listen to me, listen well, eat only the best, fill yourself with only the finest. Basically, we, we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. That's that's the American way. And, uh, and he says, look, you're all in debt more than you realize. Just come to me. This is There's no charge for what I'm offering. Isaiah 55, verse 3. He says, incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, according to the faithful mercies shown to David. He says, I'm going to make a covenant that doesn't expire, right? There's no cracks that, that develop in this thing. I'll make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercies shown to David. And so there's a, a thing called the Davidic Covenant, right? This was a, a deal that God made with David, but um, similar to the one he made with Abraham, that there's going to be one that comes from your line, from your lineage. Uh, who will, you, there will always be one from your line on the throne. And there's lots of things, you know, lots of cool stories about David. We all, you know, probably know about him killing a giant and 
Um, there's a weird one about collecting a bag full of foreskins. That I'll let you read that one on your own. Um, all kinds of crazy stuff in his life. But one of the things that we, we hear people say the most about David is he was a man after God's own heart. That's true. He had a he had a he worshipped the Lord passionately. Right? There's there's moments where he's you know he's dancing, he's so full of joy over what God's doing. Uh, he operated on faith. He you know kind of shamed the people in, in Saul's army who wouldn't go out and fight because he was like you know God is with us and you know he was a man of faith. But he's also a guy who sometimes lost hope. Uh, he got depressed. He lived by the flesh sometimes. Uh, he was not a good father. Um, and if you know the stories, it, you know, there are plenty of, for every great thing about David, there are plenty of terrible things about David. And that's why it's so important that he's in that book. Right? Here's somebody that God really esteems. He holds him up as an example, and he's, a, he's not a flawless person. He's a very human person. He's a person that God says, I, I made a covenant with him, and part of that covenant was me showering him with mercy. And I'm going to make the same kind of deal with you. An everlasting covenant of faith, uh, faithfulness and mercy. Verse 4, he says, Behold, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. And this word just means Gentiles or heathens or whatever. Um, verse 5, Behold, uh, you will call a nation you do not know, and a nation which knows you not will run to you. Because of the Lord your God, even the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Now, David, he expanded Israel's boundaries. Um, he formed relationships with, you know, foreign powers. Um, and, you know, he's, he's so Isaiah is using him as an example, you know, that he, he wasn't just, he didn't only deal with Israel, he dealt with Gentiles. And, and this invitation is going to go out even further than the boundaries of that, that David dealt with. But that last verse we read, verse 6, says, seek the Lord while he may be found. And call upon him while he is near. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 10 this is David's son writing down some things he had to say. And he says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you go. You better make the most of this time that you have because it's short. Shorter, it's later than you think. And Isaiah says, you seek the Lord while you're here. Right? While you're here on earth, while you have the chance to do that, while he may be found. Proverbs 1, same guy that wrote that thing in Ecclesiastes, wrote this. Verse 24, he says, I called you so often, but you wouldn't come. 
I reached out to you, but you paid no attention. You've ignored my advice and rejected the correction I offered. And so I'll laugh when you're in trouble. I'll mock you when disaster overtakes you, when calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster engulfs you like a cyclone and anguish and distress overwhelm you. When they cry for help, I will not answer. Though they anxiously search for me, they will not find me. For they hated knowledge and chose not to fear the Lord. Now that sounds harsh, right? But all he's, all he's saying is, look, I gave, I've given you every opportunity to turn to me. You can't bank on being able to uh, reach out at the last second, you know, to pull me out of the trunk like in a, a, a spare tire. That's not the kind of relationship I want us to have. And that doesn't mean that, that uh, God doesn't show mercy to people in those situations but, or, uh, or that people don't come to the Lord, you know, at the last minute. But uh, I remember growing up, that was my plan, was I'm basically going to do whatever I want, and then when I'm 99 years old and on my deathbed, then I'll become a Christian. Because I, in my mind, I thought there's, you can't have any kind of fun as a as a Christian. So I'm just going to live like the devil until the very last second. And I don't think that uh, we always know when the very last second is. Right? Paul puts it this way in Second Corinthians six, verse two. He says, "For God says, at just the right time I heard you. On the day of salvation I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now." Today is the day of salvation. When is the right time to, to call out to God? Right now. When is the right time to pray about the thing that's bothering you? Right now. Just call upon Him while He is near. Now, God's Spirit uh, gently tugs on our ear and on our heart all the time, and we need to respond when we feel that tug. And I'm not just talking about that we need to be, get saved. You know, if you're a Christian, God's still speaking to you, pulling on your heart every once in a while, pulling on your ear, saying, hey, you need to listen. And every time we ignore him, uh, I, I feel like he's, you know, I, that thing in Proverbs we just read, that's what he's thinking. He's like, I tried to help you and you won't listen. Go back to Isaiah 55, verse 7. He says, uh, Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord, and he will have compassion on him and to our God. For he will abundantly pardon. He says, If you'll turn to him, he'll receive you 100%. That's without question. But when, for some of us, you know, we, we look at someone who... Um, lives a certain way, and then we find out they, they claim to be a Christian, and you're like, you got right. You ever thought that? Ever kind of judge someone? We don't want, we don't think of it that way, but that's what it is. We're, we're being a little judgy. Right? How can that person be a Christian? Um, David, though, depending on which time in his life you, you knew him, which period you were around him, he probably would have had those same thoughts. This is the same guy that wrote a lot of the psalms, right, that we, sing, we still sing today. 
there were times where people were like, yeah, sure, that guy loves God. Verse 8, he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. When we have that thought about somebody, he says, yeah, you can think that if you want, but my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. We look at the outside, he looks at the heart. We're, we're quick to hold grudges. We're quick to take revenge. And that's just not, uh, that's not how he rolls. Ephesians 3, verse 20, it says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, that is the God that or we read about and we worship and, and follow. He's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all we can imagine. And so, I, a God who is big enough to worship, right? a God that is worthy of our worship, is not small enough to fully understand. Right? If you can fully understand God, He's not a God. If you can think exactly like he thinks, that's not someone that's worthy of worship. He's he's just a person. In my my mind, uh, sometimes, you know, I don't know if you've ever had this thought, but you're like, you know, if I was God, this is what I would do, right? If if, If I was in charge, then this is what would happen to people who do that. And we should all be thankful that I'm not. But my mind sometimes hurts my relationship, I think, with God. Um, because my mind is not like His, my thoughts are not like His. It's, he's so much different than me that I'll think things like, you know, if I were Him, I wouldn't love me. Right? Or if I were Him, I wouldn't forgive me. But thank God, His thoughts are not my thoughts and his ways are not my ways. Isaiah 55 verse 9 says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty or void without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Remember in the last chapter, he described people as being dry or barren. Our hearts get that way sometimes season. And if you're confused or dry or barren, he says, my word is like the rain that, that falls down on dry ground. It, it brings life. It, it provides food for you to eat. And it provides so much food for you to eat that there's seed left over for you to sow. Seed for you to spread around. He says, you know, you can't fully conceive what I'm up to uh, but if you trust me day by day, 
my word will give you what you need. And there'll be leftover. There'll be seed left for you to spread and bless other people with. The weird thing, the, the tricky thing, though, about spreading seed is that uh, it does not immediately turn into fruit, right? It needs time to take root and, and to grow. And so he's just, you know, parents, keep, keep pouring into your kids even when it seems like it doesn't pay off. Because it it does right? that that seed eventually takes root and, and becomes life giving. And when we when we share the gospel with people, sometimes you you may share a, a verse with someone or some truth from the word, and you want to have that cool story where you know, well, I shared the Lord with this person and he got saved and now he's a, a missionary or whatever. Those stories are pretty rare. A lot of times, it's I shared this verse with someone. And they told me to, you know, stuff it, and that was the end of the conversation. But God, t- God lets us know that don't worry, my word will always accomplish what I s- sent it out for. Um, either it will result in healing someone's heart or hardening. And what I mean by that is, uh, you know, we we're held accountable for what we know. And uh, when God's word is presented to us, we can uh, we can find Him while He's near, like He was talking about earlier, or we can reject it. And, and we have that choice. Um, and someday we stand before Him, and He'll go, "You, it's not like you never heard about me. Right? It's not like I didn't give you the opportunity." Anyway, I know this is a little. I'm kind of beating you guys up tonight. But, um, now we get into some dual fulfillment. Because remember, Isaiah likes to deal in dual fulfillment prophecies. He talks about things that, they, you know, it comes true or, or, you know, comes to pass in the short term in some way, but also has long-time ramifications. So, uh, verse 12, Isaiah 55, verse 12, he says, For you will go out with joy and be led forth with peace. Uh, remember, he's been talking uh, about a period that's in the future for him, uh, but in the past for us, when Israel would, was taken into captivity in Babylon, and then they were going to be brought back, they were going to be set free um, from Babylon without fighting, right? That the, the king of Babylon is just going to let them go eventually. Uh, and so he's reassuring them that you're going to come back in peace. But he goes on, he says, the mountains and the hills will break forth into shouts of joy before you. And all the trees of the field will clap their hands. I just had an image of the, the ants from uh, Lord of the Rings. If you know, you know. Uh, verse 13, instead of the thorn bush, the cypress will come up. Instead of the nettle, the myrtle will come up. And it will be a memorial to the Lord for an everlasting sign which will not be cut off. So basically, he says, someday uh, the desert will be a garden. Um, thorns will turn into fruit trees. Um, that's been a theme throughout this book. That basically someday what's wrong will be right. What's upside down will be turned right side up. And, um, and then we're going to get into a few verses in chapter 56 because sometimes the, the chapter breaks aren't really where the, the thought ends. Right? So Isaiah 56 verse 1, he says, Thus says the Lord, 
preserve justice and do righteousness. For my salvation is about to come. And my righteousness to be revealed. How blessed is the man who does this. And the son of man who takes hold of it. Who keeps from profaning the Sabbath. And keeps his hand from doing any evil. Now, you know, Israel was the first nation uh, in the world to really have a day off. Right? They, they um, you know, we changed how we keep time because of them. And, and they had the Sabbath. They had this day of rest that God had, had laid out from the beginning. And even though they had it, they kept violating it. Now, today, we don't have a Sabbath day, uh, right? You know, some people get really weird about that, and you have to have church on a certain day of the week and all that kind of stuff. Uh, we don't really have a Sabbath day because uh, Jesus is our Sabbath, right? In Him, we find rest. Um, but we still profane the Sabbath. Uh, you know, we forget that the work is finished, and instead of worshiping at His feet, and resting in Him, uh, we try to pick up all the things that we should have laid down at the foot of the cross. Right? We, we carry around all these, these things that He's like, no. I Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you. you know. And we're like, yeah, no, I'll, I'll keep carrying this. Thanks anyway. Verse 3 says, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. Nor let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. So he says, basically, foreigners and those who aren't productive. Uh, in the Old Testament, those people couldn't come into the temple. Right? They, they had to be kept at a distance. But he says, no, no, no. Anybody who feels like you can't be near me, I want you to know, come to me. Right? You can come near. Verse 4, for thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose uh, what pleases me and hold fast my covenant, to them I will give in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name which will not be cut off. Also the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to Him and to love the name of the Lord to be His servants. Everyone who keeps from profaning the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant, even those I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all the people. Don't diminish your place in the, in the kingdom of God. No matter how low you may think your standing is, um, you have a direct line to the king of kings. And I love that how he talks about how, you know, my, my house is to be a house of prayer and, and it should be joyful. You know, I've never walked away from someone praying for me and felt worse. never felt worse by someone praying for me. 
verse 8. He says, The Lord God who gathers uh, the dispersed of Israel declares, Yet others I will gather to them, to those already gathered. So he's, he's saying, I've sent out this invitation to the whole world. Israel, you're going to be restored, but there's something even bigger. There's going to be even more brought in. So the last few chapters we've seen the cross, we've seen Israel restored, and we see this invitation to all of us. And then finally, there's this reminder that all of the, all of us, um, all of this is so that we can be together. Right? We're better together. All the things that separate us, he says, I want, I want to remove everything that's separating you and bring you to me together. So quit looking for ways to cut people out of your life because that's not what his ultimate will is for you. Right? Ultimately, he wants us to be together. He's in the business of taking broken pieces and putting them together into something bigger and better. Um, and next week we're going to get into a little bit more of this and, and um, as we get into chapter 57, the, the focus starts to turn a little bit more. But for now, he says, rest in me, pray, talk to me, and come to me. That's the, that's the deal. Um, we're going a little long, so let's pray. And Lord, we thank you. Again, for giving us the opportunity to, uh, to study your word. We just pray that you would um, help us to apply what we've learned. Help us to rest in you. To, to realize that you have already done all the work. And, and to quit, that we would quit trying to pick up what you've called us to lay down. Help us to trust you. Help us to not cut people out of our lives, but to make more room for uh, maybe there are new relationships and new people. Uh, that we're going to be uh, able to be blessed by and able to bless. Well, we, uh, again, pray for your blessing on all of your people. We pray you come and come quickly.